Welcome to the You Collective podcast. Today with us is Victoria Tayumor, who is a pathmaker and has a very interesting journey. Victoria, welcome. Thank you. You have a very interesting background, and、uh, you have done many different things. So, tell us about your journey as a start. Well,、uh, thanks very much for having me, Joyce. Um, so, um, I, I guess. My journey is kind of complicated, and if I started in,、um, I can just go backwards. Which is right now, I am、um, a psychotherapist,、uh, and I am a leadership consultant,、um, doing organizational and leadership consulting、um, for people and、uh, for people and organizations, and doing workshops,、um, and. I really, really love what I do right now,、um, but I think for a long time in my life I didn't really even think about what I really wanted to do.、Um, and let me know if I start getting too off topic. But I think that when I was,、um, you know, being brought up, I think the message that I got was kind of like, you know, don't worry about what you want to do. Because just get a stable job because、um, you know you'll, you'll have time outside of your job to to pursue your hobbies, and you know it was like a combination of I think、um, the reality of my parents like how how they、um, approach their work or how they had to approach their work in China and the reality of being like an immigrant family,、um, and so like I never really thought about what I wanted to do. So my first jobs out of college were in、um, management consulting,、um, and before that, I had, you know, I had been an econ major, economics major in college, and had、uh, done like econ research and public policy research, and those were all things that I was like, okay, I have the ability to do it, and they can have the ability to give me a pretty good and stable job. But what actually got me to want to find out what I really wanted to do was、um, that I found out that in in consulting you work a whole lot and you don't really have time for hobbies. And I realized that that my my parents like model was not going to work because I was just like working all the time and I knew that that was not what I thought about wanting and I, I had no time to think about what I wanted.、Um, and so. That's when I、um, decided to leave consulting and spent, and I ended up spending like a couple of years figuring out what I wanted to do,、um, and just eventually,、um, it's pretty random. Eventually, I was just like walking down Michigan Avenue in downtown Chicago and thinking about what I would want to do, and it just occurred to me that maybe <laughs> I want to be a therapist. And it had nothing to do with anything that I had done before. And after you started to realize that perhaps、uh, being a therapist、uh, may be something that you want to pursue, how did you go about affirming that view? What kinds of、uh, activities or education did you further <clears throat> pursue to get you where you are today? Sure.、Um, so the first act—I mean, the first thing I did was like I actually—I asked my husband,、uh, like you know, what he thought because it's—it's it's interesting because I would 
throw a lot of different career options at him before. And I was like, well, what if I studied art history or been a teacher or studied French? And these are all things that I've like had experience in, you know, but that he would been like, I don't know, you know, I don't really know if it's like a fit for you. And it was interesting. I mean, he's, he was like a great mirror for me because the day when I came home from Michigan Avenue and I was like, you know, I think I want to try to be a therapist. And he was actually like, I think you might like that. <laughs> so, so I mean, like, and then after that, I, I did a bunch of, like, informational interviews with people who I found, you know, either through alumni network or through their networks that, you know, they recommended me to talk to. And, and then, you know, I went to info sessions for grad schools and ended up going to grad school um, for counseling psychology and get my master's. And that, I mean, every step, it, it's like, it, it's pretty awesome. And I consider myself really lucky because every step just affirmed it more. Every step I was like, oh, yeah, this is where I want to be. Oh, yeah, this is even better than I thought it was going to be. And um, along the way, I think you also did improv uh, as well. Did That's that right. help? Thank you for reminding me. Um, yes. So I did Im- it. I think maybe without improv, I wouldn't have come to the thought of being a therapist or working with people in the first place. I mean, I think like my calling is really to work directly with people, uh, you know, relating to them. But like improv was really the first real foray of me doing that. And I didn't really do it like with an intention in mind. I I did it because um, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my journey into improv because I I love it. And and that's part of half of my work in uh, leadership consulting. And it is that um, in consulting, you know, we had no time for any hobbies, except if you like had a commitment and then you can say like, I need to leave the office for three hours today. And so I was just trying to sign up for all these different classes just so I could get out of the office. And one of my friends was like, needed to take an improv class because um, she thought that that, you know, she got the feedback that, that would help her get promoted. And so I took, I was like, well, I, you know, I tried all these other classes and they're, I'm just lukewarm about them. And so I tried improv at Second City and I hated it. Like I hated it for like a whole year, but it was the only, it was the only hobby that I stuck with even though I'm like, this is so stupid. And I think it wasn't hate, it was just like really terrifying because I had never really related with people in the moment in that way before. And so, you know, now like eight or nine years later, I'm still, I've been, I'm still like studying and doing improv and it's just really, I no longer hate it. I think that energy is just, it makes me feel alive. So what are the skills or things that you picked up from improv, for example, that help in your work today? Uh, okay, I'll try to like, I'm like really excited about this question, but I'll try to like keep it to, because I can, I think I can talk about it for hours. Um, I think improv and, you know, therapy or working with clients uh, is, is like so much the same thing um, because improv it teaches you to be present and to not have an agenda because a lot of times, like, you know, a lot of times we think like, oh, like I'm supposed to be an expert if I'm, I'm a therapist or I'm a consultant or something. But I think what I find is a lot of that is 
is our defenses. And what really is really helpful is our ability, if you're able to actually really take in what your client, what the other person is expressing and really understand it. And then to be able to, you know, bring something of your own to the table, but, but do it in a way like, you know, like building something together brick by brick, you know? So I don't know if I'm making a lot of sense, but that it's not about like, it's, it's improv is so different from let's say stand-up comedy where it's you're completely prepared right but that when you work with clients when you're doing improv and when you're a therapist working with clients or your consultant working with clients you're not and you shouldn't bring like a hundred percent of everything to the table and it's not like a one-sided conversation it's like um you know you listen, they bring a brick, you bring a brick, and then they find another brick that fits with that brick and you find another brick. And so it's kind of, I think of improv in a way as like just the ultimate training for mindfulness and awareness. And it's like an ultimate meditative exercise to practice like both being aware of where you are and what you can offer and also really, really understanding what the other person is bringing because when you're making something out of nothing you really have to be attuned and to know and to check in if you don't know and be clear about that otherwise you know you're building these invisible things like and you're gonna miss each other that's great and i think one thing you talked about is that you know whether you uh go on and and do improv with people you don't know topics you don't know um, mm -hmm. or going to a leadership workshop or talking to a client there are a lot of unknowns um, and just as you were switching career there were lots of unknowns too mm -hmm. how did you conquer the fear and found the courage to say you know I'm going to try this out and uh, forge this path for me yeah, I mean, it's giving me goosebumps. And I think we're still talking about improv, uh, you know, and its benefits for me, because um, I don't know if I can really, you know, retroactively explain a reason. But what helped certainly was my experience in improv, which is it's all about being in the unknown. There's actually a quote from like Viola Spolin that's like, um, get out of your head into your space and await the invisible stranger. Right? That's kind of the experience of improv and also of these things where you kind of just take a, you take a step into the unknown and you see what next. And then the unknown maybe like does something and then you do something else. And, and for a long time, it's, it's scary. You know, for a long time doing improv, I was like in fight or flight mode until, you know, for years until I could like actually comfortably you know, feel like, oh, I have, you know, I have, the fear is manageable. Like the fear was not manageable for many years. And I think when I did a career change, I didn't really, I wasn't really aware that the fear, like what I was doing with the fear, but I think I was pretty defensive. And I was like, you know, in grad school, I think for uh, a while there, I was like, just pretty defensive and thinking like, oh, I got this, I can, I can do it without realizing that, what a big risk I was taking and how much I couldn't do it right away. And that's just how I dealt with it. And eventually I, I, you know, I overcome it and became more aware of 
my fear and my defenses. But at first, those defenses really helped me. I mean, that's why we have defenses. And like, you know, so I think I, I told myself I could do it. Just kind of blind confidence. And looking forward, what do you see your journey evolving to in the next one, two or three years? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, the other thing about, I think, where my mind is at is like, it's hard for me to, I tend not to predict things because I'm like, oh, I just want to see what's like happening in the next second. But what I would like right now, you know, is like maybe have one day have like be a, be somewhere where I can more gracefully integrate my role as a therapist and my role as a, a consultant that uses improv because I, I think I, I really love these things and they're so so similar but there's something I'm still trying to find um, yeah find a comfortable place where I can integrate them more fluidly right now it feels like I'm doing two separate things even though they don't they're not quite separate I don't know if that makes sense. Yes, it does. And talk about leadership. So now you have clients um, that you work with at large companies and you see many different organizations, many different types of individuals. How do you define leadership? Well, how do you tell people how to think about leadership? Yeah, that's um, that's a hard question actually because I think um, so when when I think about leadership, I think about um, I actually think about the word authority in a way um, and how we take it up and and I think that sometimes I'm like not very good at explaining things, but um, so what what it gets me think about is how we, every individual takes up the role of being a leader very differently and that that's okay. And so um, I, you know, when I think about it, like leadership, I usually think about it in the context of the person or the people I'm working with. For example, you know, I am like a 31-year-old Chinese American woman and I am going to, if I'm going to take up a leadership position, right, one, just superficially, I will look very different from a 31-year-old, you know, white man or black man or, you know, anyone. Like, we, we all, we are received differently and we maybe receive ourselves differently in that role. And if, like, I remember um, this, like, older white man who was mentoring me was like you know if you if you want to you know intimidate a room like don't make eye contact or look down and I was like no you know if I look down um I am not going to intimidate a room like the room is going to think I am intimidated right and like I I think so so it's hard for me to generalize what leadership means to me but I, I think what's really important lesson for me personally and I I try to in different ways in part is like you have to find your own way and you know especially if you're someone who's uh let's say not a mainstream demographic 
because the way if you're trained in the U.S., if I'm trained, like the ways that you know that you're trained to take up leadership might be very different. Might not work for you if you don't look like your professors or you don't look like your mentors or your role models. Um, and, and it's really important. It's not just okay. It's really important to find something that works for you and not like just emulate or think that if you if you emulate you will get there too victoria that's great advice and thank you so much for sharing your authentic voice with all of us and as a pathmaker you're doing amazing things impacting individuals lives and we look forward to hearing more from your journey going forward thank you Thank you for having me, Joyce. Thanks again. It's uh, and um, it's a great pleasure.